Welcome to episode number three of the TM Golfcast. I'm Tad Myers, and uh, in this episode, I got to sit down with my professor, my mentor, and somebody that I call a really good friend, uh, Mr. J.R. Pond. He has mentored me over this past year. I know I would not be where I'm at today without him, um, and uh, I, I, I really, uh, I really got blessed to have a professor um, as good as he is. So this is episode three. This is my conversation with J.R. Pond. So I'm sitting down with one of my probably favorite people I've gotten to meet within at least a year, Mr. Pond, James Pond. How, how's the year been? It's, it's been a good year. Uh, just, just starting my second year here at California University. So got one year under my belt in the classroom. Uh, definitely a different animal than my time as a head golf professional and assistant golf professional and working at standalone driving ranges and public golf courses and private golf courses. It's definitely a, a different environment, but it's very cool. Definitely very cool. What have you taken away from the year so far? You, you've been already, uh, you've had a year here at Cal U. What, what have you learned so far about like students? I know you've been with interns and other things like that with at Lone Pine and the other courses, but what have you taken away from being a teacher now? Well, the first year in the, the classroom, like I said, being a little bit different animal is um, you, you, you get such a different exposure when you're working with interns and you're with that intern for a three-month period or a six-month period or they're coming in there helping you out and it's, it's a much more hands-on experience when you're teaching someone. So you can put them in front of the tournament software and you can walk them through the process and start having them do chunks of it as they're going through to learn how to really use the software to its full extent. Same thing with point of sale systems. You can put them in front of it and maybe you just have them ringing in cart charges and then, okay, we're gonna start leaving you on your own and now you're gonna be able to start ringing through things. Okay, I'm gonna show you how to start doing a little bit of inventory stuff so you can start checking things in. So you can kind of take it out in lumps and it's very hands-on. In the classroom, it's, it's, um, it's a little more sterile I don't want that to sound <laughs> terrible, but it's now all of a sudden, instead of having that one-on-one, -on -one, that face-to-face -face time with that one individual, and you can make sure that they're getting it, you're trying to read the expressions of an entire classroom and make sure that you're not leaving somebody behind, and it's definitely not as hands-on. It's a little more theory-based um, in the, the way that you present material, and then you have to find ways to make it much more hands-on. That would be, I, could, I, I definitely could not be a teacher. I don't know if I could ever do That'd be just, I, I would go insane, insane. just not worrying about everybody. To tell you the truth, the, when I was in school, if you told me when I was in high school that I was going to be a teacher of any form, whether it be primary school, secondary school, college level, I probably would have laughed at you. <laughs> like, really, just the, like roll on floor laughing to tears, you know, bad. Just There's, there's no way. Um, I was a very non-traditional student. I did not, learning did not come easily to me. I had to work really hard um, and I, I, I was really immature for my age when I first got to college. I didn't finish my undergrad degree uh, for 10 years after I graduated from high school. Oh wow. I, I started at West Virginia Wesleyan. I put one year in at West Virginia Wesleyan. Um, did a lot of things that I wouldn't say that I'm not proud of, but a lot of things that if given the opportunity I would have done differently. Uh, I, I squandered my time while I was there, I feel like. 
I came home and decided that that really wasn't for me. I went to community college, worked my way through my associate's degree, finished my associate's degree, and then took five years off. Oh, wow. Um, took five years off from school before, you know, and, and chased the ball around for a little while and got a little frustrated with golf, kind of took a little bit of time off from actually playing. Um, worked for the ARC, which was taking care of individuals with developmental disabilities, primarily in duly diagnosed behavior homes. So individuals that had some type of developmental disability in some other uh, diagnosis, whether it be paranoid schizophrenic or, and they all had state issued behavior plans. So you had to do all the behavior stuff. And I did that for almost five years before I finally, I, I burned out on it. And I called my mom and dad one day and said, no, I think I'm ready to go back to school. If I come back home, can, can I go back to school? Sure. So I packed up and moved back north, started here at California University of Pennsylvania as a student. <laughs> and a couple years later, I finished my undergrad finally, about 10 years. I, I graduated in uh, June of 1998 from high school. I graduated from college in May of 2008. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was almost 10 years to, to the day. It's about uh, nine years and 11 months. Well, we're coming almost up on that anniversary. We're going to have a party or something for you. Yeah, we just, uh, <laughs> we just, we just eclipsed the 10-year the mark from when I graduated from Cal U. Now I'm in the, uh, the graduate program for performance enhancement uh, specialist. Okay. So NASM's, we've got a, a really cool program that aligns with that with like five different directions you can go. And for me, I was looking for something that would allow me to understand the human movement system better so I can, A, help you know, the collegiate golfer and, and the students that are going through here that are looking to pass their PAT and become PGA professionals down the road, helping them uh, perform at a higher level. So kind of looking at the PES cert there. But I also wanted to help aging golfers enjoy the game more, enjoy it longer, and work on the, you know, the movement patterns in ways that weren't going to cause you know, injury or discomfort, you know, that help them strengthen the areas that need strengthened so that way they can play the game when they get older, <laughs> as they get even older and enjoy it more, enjoy it longer into life. That's awesome. Golf is one of those game, sports, or it's pretty much the only sport where there's no age restriction. No. Ba basically, if you can, if your body can move in some way, shape, or form that you can find a way to get a club head on a golf ball, you can play golf, and golf courses are getting much better now at finding ways to scale it. U.S. Kids has done amazing things to really understand the scaling and, and put some numbers to it to say, okay, your driver only goes 150 yards. This is the yardage course you should be playing so you can play competitively, you can enjoy it, and not feel like you're kind of getting your teeth kicked down your throat every time you tee it up because nobody wants to play like that. No. We, we want to make sure that people are having a good time uh, enjoying it and feel like that they can be competitive at some level. So let's start from the beginning. Where did you, how did you get involved with the game of golf? Um, my dad got done with active duty in the, in the Navy and he played very, very little. It, um, not a whole lot, but he did play a little bit and started working for Corning Glass. And it was one of those things where it's like, at that point in time where we're talking kind of early, mid eighties and you, you know, golf courses were still a place that business was conducted. So if you're going to go into management in any role, then you probably at least be able to go out and hit it around a little bit and enjoy it and, and be able to spend that time with clients and customers or, and 
use that as a platform to, to talk with people and to discuss you know, business opportunities. So I don't know if it's exactly the way that it played out, but this is the way that it played out in my head. We were, we were living in Buchanan, West Virginia, so the same town that West Virginia Wesleyan is in, which okay. is the reason why I decided to go there uh, initially, is because it was a college town, it was really laid back, it was a small private school, but we lived in Buchanan, West Virginia, and um, legend has it, if you will, <laughs> my dad came home and he had this starter set of Spaldings of kind of thrown in with some McGregor's and it was a, it was a starter set though so it was like five seven nine um, putter <laughs> and the, the putter was the only thing that was reasonably long enough for me to swing at five years old oh wow so he you know like I said legend has it he came home and I'm in the backyard taking full cuts with a putter <laughs> because it was the only thing short enough in the bag for me to really swing and he's like okay so it was like my sixth birthday he got a new set of clubs, and back in those days, you know, U.S. Kids and all these different uh, kids companies didn't really exist. So Epic and uh, the major manufacturers really weren't marketing towards kids, so they didn't have the bag sets or the box sets. Uh, so at that point in time, if you wanted to get your kid into golf, you basically got yourself a new set. You took a pipe cutter and you cut all yours down, oh, wow. and you got some grips and you threw some grips on them, and you know, you went out there and they swung things that weighed way too much, and they were. You know, six times more stiff than anybody should ever swing, and but that's what you did, and you just found a way to kind of go out there and whack the golf ball around. Uh, the new stuff now is, is definitely superior for getting kids into the game, for sure. Uh, the weights and everything are, are much more forgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't create issues with uh, different motor patterns where you've got to manipulate things to try and swing it. So if you got clubs that are too long, then you're gonna flatten the swing out and you're gonna have to do a few things to kind of make that club work and overall I hate to say it that can be pretty detrimental later yeah, yeah. so if, for all you that are listening out there if you're gonna get your kids into golf they're better off playing with clubs that are slightly too short than slightly too long and um, keep them in things that are flexible and light as long as you possibly can uh, and do over speed training as early as you can because developing speed later in life is way harder than it is early. So if there's ways that you can start doing uh, over speed training early, do it because it's just gonna help them out down the road. Uh, so back to your question though. <laughs> so that, that was kind of started with the cut the clubs down and I started going out to the golf course with my dad occasionally. Um, but then when I turned 11, it was, it was full blown passion for golf. Uh, so at that point in time, we were living in uh, Big Flats, New York, right around Horseheads, Elmira, Corning, that, that little area there just over the PA border from, uh, and there was a Willow Creek golf course, 27 hole public golf course. You could buy a family pass for the year. Wow. They had the 27 holes and then they had two practice par threes. And for about almost the first year, uh, we had the membership and my dad got me a shag bag, one of the first shag bags, <laughs> the, the, the nylon bags and not the canvas bags. And um, the, uh, you know, they, they dropped me off in the morning and I'd go over and I'd play these two par threes with 75 balls in the bag. So I'd hit 75 balls from the tee up to the green. I'd chip anything that missed the green onto the putting surface. And then I would putt everything that was on the putting surface towards the hole, shag them all up over the other tee and whack them all back. I would spend all day 
on these two holes just working on basically five iron down. Um, I, I don't know that I ever, I don't think I've chipped in as much as I did those first, you know, three, four years of playing golf just because of the way that I, I practiced, because I, I played to practice. I played these two par threes over and over and over again, and I didn't hit the ball very far, so you know, I could almost hit driver, but typically I'd hit five iron, which always left me short. Then I was hitting a you know a nine iron in because of the little starter set. And I said, finding ways to manipulate it and you know, just play these two par threes over and over again. After almost that entire summer, my dad's like, well, you know, we paid for this membership so you could actually play the golf course too. Uh, so I said, okay, and I started playing a little bit more. We would get up in the morning. We would ride in. We'd play nine holes, we'd get in the car, we'd go home. By then the clubhouse was open before we left, so I'd leave my bag in the locker, and we would drive home. He would get in the shower, get cleaned up so he could go to work. I would eat breakfast, get on my bike, ride three miles back to the course, oh my gosh. play all day. My dad would come back after work, we'd play nine more holes together, and then we'd put my bike and the clubs back in the back of the car, go home, next morning repeat. So basically, if it wasn't raining sideways, I was at the golf course. That's awesome. It could be sprinkling. I was still at the golf course. <laughs> Mom wasn't crazy about me riding my bike when it was like pouring outside. So I remember I can just see you being that that kid on one of those golf commercials where it's hunkering down in the rain and the bag sitting on the driving range and just the rain is just coming in. I can see you being that guy or that that kid on there. That's I'm awesome. pretty sure we weren't hunkered down. I'm pretty sure at that point in time, you know, being 11, 12 years old, you basically just just like it's raining. Oh well, and you just you got soaked, and then you would go in and be like, I'm glad I had a change of clothes in the locker. <laughs> You're down in the locker room like peeling. At that point in time, too, like none of the synthetic fabrics existed, so you've got cotton polos on and cotton t-shirts, and you're like, they're glued to your body, and you're sitting there and you're trying to peel these things off of your body. It's like using a shoehorn to get your shirt off. <laughs> That's crazy, and I can't imagine those type of shirts in like the heat. We didn't know any better, so it really wasn't that bad. So sometimes the rain was very welcomed. Oh, yeah. Because just like my shirt already weighs six pounds because of the sweat, so it's going to weigh six pounds, but it's going to get a nice, cool, soaking rain. You know, it was the humidity after the rain that was... <laughs> that was the rough part, man. So when, when did you think, you know, I can take this, the love of the game, to the next level and actually make it a profession? Uh, again, like, like the college stuff, it was it was later. It okay. was later. It was, um, you know, I, I thought maybe, but going into it, I really wasn't sure. When I went to to Wesleyan at that point in time, I was you know communications business major. Uh, you know, golf as a career really wasn't there. However, you know that being said. Uh, I was you know, 16 years old working a standalone driving range, so I'd been working in the, the golf industry in some capacity. Uh, you know, worked there all the way through you know, the first year at Wesleyan, and then worked there when I was going to school at the community college, and then went to work at Springdale Golf Club. And even then, it, it wasn't you know this could be a career. You know, there it, it was it was there that I was like you know maybe pursuing PGA membership and becoming a professional is is you know, something I'd want to do, but, you know, it, it kind of, you know, didn't hit me until later, and it was after I came back home, it was while I was living down in Florida, I remember I reached out to Brian Polander, he was the pro at Cedarbrook, oh, wow. and I, I reached out to him, and I was just like, hey, Brian, what's the process, like, how, like, if I wanted to 
really kick this around and, and get serious about becoming a pro. So it was, you know, it was probably about, I, I flirted with it for a lot of years, but I was about 23, maybe 24 when I was like, yeah, this is it. And I would, you know, probably for about that year leading up to coming back home, I'd been in contact with Brian a couple times. He goes, you need to go to PGA. At that point, that was PGA links. Now it's PGA.org. And get on there and, and you know, follow the, the prompts. It'll, it'll take you through and get you your application. And that's when I was like, this is what I want to do. And I came home uh, to go back to school partially because of the PGM program here at Cal, so I could you know, go to school for it. Um, my time here at Cal allowed me to go to work at Valley Brook Country Club. I was working at Butler's Golf Course in Elizabeth mm -hmm. um, you know, when I first enrolled. And then I got a, what was started off as an internship that turned into an assistant position uh, at Valley Brook Country Club, which is a third assistant, second assistant, and then me and uh, the other assistant at that point in time. Mike Papson got the call to become the head professional and Eric and I kind of shared duties. We didn't have the delineation between first and second assistant. We were just assistants. Um, and we were only about maybe six months apart in obtaining PGA membership. So there was like, I did tournaments, he did club repair. Overall, we, we both supported the day-to-day -day operation and it was a really, really good relationship with those guys. I still have a good relationship with those guys. Don't see them as much as I like to, but <laughs> still have a really good relationship with all of them. Uh, but it, it was, it was later, I was, I was like 23, 24 when I said, yeah, this, this is it, we're gonna do it. That's awesome. And, and really got uh, full, you know, head of steam towards pursuing my passion for the golf industry. It wasn't until my first day in the classroom though, they were going around and they were asking everybody, you know, what's your dream job? What is it you wanna do in the golf industry? You get a lot of people, director of instruction, general managers, head golf professionals. Uh, they kind of looked at me and being the, the old person in the room, <laughs> What do you want to do? I said, I think I want to be a PGM professor. Oh, wow. So even though it was like, it was one of the first days in class, I was like, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. Uh, and what made you think like, that's, that's what you wanted to do, be a PGM professor? Uh, I think I kind of had a sense of it at that point in time, but it didn't really fully set in until after my time at, at when I was working at Lone Pine as a head professional at Lone Pine, and the opportunity came up here at Cal and, and got to go through the, you know, the search process to see if I'd be a good fit. But I kind of came to the realization that I, I really love Lone Pine. I would have spent my career there. It's a nice family club, uh, private, privately owned, really cool setup, and uh, you know, I realized that if I had a really successful career at Lone Pine, over the course of my career, I might have 10 assistants, maybe. I might have 15, I'm not bringing in multiple interns, so the years that I'm lucky enough, I might have 10 or 15 interns over the course of my career. Maybe it'd be a little bit higher on one side or the other, possibly, but in the end, I'm kind of looking at it going, you know, I, I'll, I'll be able to influence and help potentially 25 or 30 other people in their pursuit of, you know, a career in golf. Um, realized that as a PGM professor, I was going to have potentially 20 to 30 to 50 students a year coming into the program 
I'd have the opportunity to provide guidance and influence and mentoring and lifelong support in their career in the golf industry. And then they're going to go out and they're going to put their thumbprint on junior programs and ladies programs and men's programs and they're going to find their own niches and they're going to go out and do really cool things and become head professionals and directors of instruction and general managers. And you know, I would have had a little piece in all of their journey and I just realized I'd have a much bigger impact on the game that's done so much for me in the classroom than I would ever be able to do as a head golf professional. What is one place that you would like to see change in the golf industry? I think we're seeing it right now. I, I think for a long time we've, uh, you know, the, the narrative has been that the golf industry was stagnant. Um, because of that, for about the last eight to ten years, people getting into the golf industry has really gone down. We've basically set up this, uh, this structure where people think, okay, it's a, it's a billion hours, the pay's not really that good, there's not that many people coming out. Because of that fact, the demand's up. Uh, we're getting a lot of phone calls from facilities that are looking for help. Um, facilities that, in my opinion, are high enough rated facilities that they shouldn't be the ones that are having trouble finding the right help. Um, you know, some of the smaller facilities, I can definitely understand the, the struggles that they have. So I, I think we're seeing, A, the, the need go back up. There aren't, you know, a, there aren't 150 assistants out there that are putting in resumes for a job. We're, we're seeing situations where they might get 30 or 40 resumes for top professional jobs, for head professional jobs. And we start seeing that, you start realizing that there's a demand um, and the people can really excel mm. when there's a demand like that. I think we're also starting to see it from uh, the facility standpoint that they're realizing that you, you can't ask people to work the number of hours that you know, we, we kind of put ourselves in for a while, especially for the pay. The, the budgets have to be a little bit bigger um, or the, the idea of what level of uh, service and experience that you want to have at the facility is going to have to change a little bit. And I think we're starting to see that now. I would much rather see the facilities get to a point where they're not cutting back on the employees, mm -hmm. that they want to keep the service where it is and that um, the other pieces of that puzzle you know, fit together to make that work. Uh, and then I think we're starting to see it. We're at the very beginning of it. I, it's kind of like investing. It's one of those times right now where they've been telling us to not invest and not run towards this career. And they're saying, you know, going to nursing and all these things. Well, we're going to flood the market with nurses in the next four or five years because the healthcare field needs nurses. And the golf industry for the last eight to 10 years, we've been telling everybody that, you know, it's, it's stagnant. There's too much there's too many assistants, too many professionals trying to get into the business or, or working in the business and there's just not enough jobs for them and now the table's turned a little bit. So what I've been telling people not to go towards it, now we're in a situation where we kind of need to. Yeah. We, we need bodies, we need good bodies and um, facilities are going to realize that to get the good bodies, it's, it's going to require a little bit of you know, incentive <laughs> through pay or, or perks or what have you. Yeah, I remember uh, last, I think it was the spring, we had a lot of facilities calling Cal saying we need interns. I actually got to, uh, a couple weeks ago, got to, got to talk with one of those facilities. Um, I was at an event there and I was talking to the head pro and he says, we tried, but you guys were all booked up. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's the same across the board. I mean, it, it's, 
the all the PGM programs. It's there's opportunities. There's really good opportunities. So if you're looking for something to get into, it's uh, you know PGM is a good way. PGM in general is is fantastic structure. Uh, it is you develop a resume while you go through it. All of the PGM programs are designed with internships, which means while you're actually a student, you're getting work experience. Because you're getting work experience, you're developing networks. So by the time you graduate, you have a resume. You have experience. You're not a, I just graduated and I've got this degree, but I still don't have any experience, which makes it more difficult to employ somebody. Mm -hmm. So with all the PGM programs, it's a pretty amazing thing just because you're d developing this resume and developing your own network as you go. And it can lead to a lot of really cool things down the road, golf industry-wise or other. You know, it's just, there's really good opportunities out there. So you've been in the golf industry for, for many years now. What is the craziest or, or funniest thing you've ever seen on a golf course or, or even here at Cal? <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's uh, I know this is the one the, question well, I want to no, ask everybody in the, here. In the world of tournament operations, tournament ops is definitely my baby and um, I've, I've had the privilege of running some pretty high-end golf outings um, and it, it's it's crazy what happens at some of these things when there's uh, when there's when you infuse golf with uh, <laughs> alcohol primarily. <laughs> uh, not gonna get specific as to the, the outing and stuff like that, but I've, I've seen golf carts driven into like 30 foot inflatables in the middle of a fairway. Um, you know, we've pulled golf carts out of lakes and streams. Uh, luckily, these are not things that happen often. No, they really no. aren't. They're, they're, and that's why they're the craziest things. But yeah, when you when you when you see a golf cart floating for a little while, and then it's not floating anymore, and then it grounds out, and the backup buzzer goes on for a little while, then the battery stops, and you've got to go get a backhoe or something and chain it around it and pull it back up out of the water. It's uh, it's it's a wild experience to see. So that's uh, th th that's probably most of the crazy stuff. It usually involves you know driven into inflatables or water bodies of water <laughs> <laughs> now have you gotten to play many golf tournaments since uh, since you've been in here at Cal did you get to play any this summer I did not um, it's not that I didn't get to uh, I've managed to keep myself very busy I started a grad program oh, uh, yeah. in you know last winter so I've, I'm down to hopefully this coming summer we're going to change a lot of that I'll be done with the grad program in May uh, so hoping to get back into tournament golf been doing a lot of work on the golf swing played you know a lot of golf over the summer uh some really cool places uh so it, it was it was a really good summer uh, and, and feel like i'm making some progress on myself and my own game that getting back into some competitive and tournament golf is is something i'm looking forward to doing but i also know that i i didn't put a lot of focus in my game with the family at home and i was very focused on the job uh, and didn't spend as much time on the game as I really should have. So getting back to tournament quality golf where you go out there and, and can enjoy the round and, and 
you know, not feel embarrassed or you know, be thinking twice about certain things. You, know, you can go out there and just play the game, and I feel like I'm getting back to that. And it's, it's, it's a much more fun place to play <laughs> golf from, to, to know in general what direction the ball is going to go when you hit it and not have to guess a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you start getting the, the process back together. Now, you also, what I've gotten to learn for the last year is you also like a little bit of club tinkering as well, a little bit. I do. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit on a grinder like you do <laughs> and, and grind wedges, but um, I, I'm savvy enough to be able to do some modifications and stuff like that to clubs to make sure that we're getting proper fit. I'm definitely more of a, a law fly guy. Okay. I am a let's go through, let's take you out to the golf course. We're going to hit 10 ball series through, you know, from top of the bag to the bottom and start looking at shot ellipses and think about course management and then look at those gaps and go, okay, what do we need to do to go in and, and you know, gap fit somebody? And that's definitely more where I like to, to dwell. Um, as much as I like the tech and clubs, I'm not the one that's going to sit down and uh, I can fit you for a shaft, but I'm not the one that's going to go out and do the exotics. I mean, we've got graduates that are working at Club Champion and stuff like that, and that's what they do. I mean, they, they, they know every OEM shaft, they know every aftermarket shaft, and they can go through and do the six million different combinations that you can do to get somebody just dialed in perfect. Um, and, and it's amazing the people that can do that, their brains work on that level. For me, it's much more about, okay, you've gone through the fitting process, okay, I'm gonna put you over here. I wanna see what your shot ellipse looks like. I wanna see what does the ball flight patterns look like. Uh, I want to know what uh, distance you hit every club in the bag, and I want to know if those distances are gapped out the way that we really want them to be. Are we seeing that 8 to 12 yards? Do we need to adjust something to be a little stronger, a little weaker to try and keep that gapping as we go throughout the bag? Uh, and I've had a, you know, the opportunity to do that with some, some pretty good players, some D1 players and stuff as I've gone through, and it's uh, that's getting it super dialed in yeah. is, is where I kind of like to dwell. That's awesome. Now as a final question, what is, as being a PGM student yourself from many years, from a couple years ago. For many years ago, <laughs> you're right, many, many years <laughs> ago. Many, many years ago. Uh, what is one piece of advice you would give current PGM students currently, especially with working with them a lot now? I'll tell you, uh, not just PGM students, but especially the high school students, is to, to look at the programs. If you've got an interest and a passion for golf, we always say you have to love the game to, to go in this direction. If you like the game, you're probably going to get burned out on it. If you love the game, definitely look into it um, for, for PGM programs. Um, definitely come and take a look at Cal U, <laughs> but I'm not going to sit there and say that it's the best fit for everybody. Um, but I definitely you know, encourage you to go out and take a look at them, and you're going to find a place that's going to be a good home for you. Uh, with internships, experience everything that you possibly can, whether it be muni courses, private courses, uh, resort courses. You know, go out and, and seek out those opportunities. Travel. You're at one of those times in your life where, you know, the, the things that are going to impede your ability to do some some things later in life don't exist at this point in time in your life so getting an opportunity to see different parts of the country to see the way different operations big operations small operations 
and kind of find where your niche is. I mean, you're going to go out on, on internships and you're going to see things that you absolutely fall in love with. And you say, this is it. I found it. I found what it is that I want to pursue. And then there's going to be other places that you go that you're going to say, that really wasn't for me, but I learned that about myself. I learned that, you know, big resort wasn't my thing or private really wasn't my thing or, you know, I like the high-end resort. And you start to kind of find what avenue you're going to go in for um, to, to really be happiest in your career. So don't be afraid to get uncomfortable. Try things out, uh, especially with internships being you know, three months for most of them, for the first few at least. You're going to go out and you always have the light at the end of the tunnel. If it's an absolutely horrid experience, you're going to learn that about that experience, but you've always got that light at the end of the tunnel. And at the end of that three months, you go, okay, I learned that that's not my niche. That's not where I want to be. You might go out there and, like I said, hit a home run with one and say, you know what, I, I love this so much, I don't think I want to go looking at too many other things. Now I just want to see how different operations run so you can take as much information as you can into that first assistant job. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jared, for uh, sitting down. I appreciate it. I'm sure everybody else has, has really learned a lot from you, and, and uh, as hopefully the year goes on, we also learn a lot more. I, I hope so. <laughs> That's what they're paying me for, but I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and uh, give me the honor of being on here. So uh, I will let you get going. I appreciate your time, and we'll, well talk thank to you, you soon. Thank you. So that was episode number three of the TM Golfcast. That was with J.R. Pond. And uh, next week, we are doing these podcasts weekly, by the way. Um, so every Tuesday night, there's going to be a new podcast up. Next week is going to be my conversation with Derek Knobsnyder. He's a stand-up comedian. Got to sit down with him last week, and uh, that was a really good conversation. If you missed the Instagram Live, um, I'm sorry about that. However, we are going to be doing more Instagram Lives, more Facebook Lives, um, and we are also going to be doing these, uh, doing them in a different way, so you can actually watch, watch the, the podcast as it's happening. So that was episode three. Can't wait to see you for episode four next Tuesday with Derek Knobsnyder. And uh, see you guys next time.